Well, today is also a special day because I get to invite a really good friend. Corey, come on up here. You know, you all, you've heard my stories. We were in Africa for a long time, but when we came back to the States, pretty early on, you came to our office in Topeka where I work with the churches across Kansas and Nebraska, and I began to get to know you. And I want you all to know that you, as 12th Avenue Baptist Church, have got a real gift in having that room right back there. Christ First Counseling Center, that this congregation gets to partner with you in walking alongside of people that are in many different stages of life, where they're discovering what's God's next plan, how can I get over the bumps in life. And so, Corey, it is a gift to have you with us today sharing God's word. So welcome to 12th Avenue. It's an honor to be here again with you guys this morning. I've been here a, a few times on stage, and um, I do count it as joy to be a part of, of this congregation, not just for this morning, but through the partnership. In 2014 is when the partnership started, and when we look at joining in partnerships, we look for kingdom-minded churches. And in talking with membership, that's exactly what we found here, a people who had a heart for people to love well, to care well for all people. CFCC, Christ First Counseling Center, is a compassionate ministry of hope and healing for all people. All people's a lot, by the way. And once we started expanding from Topeka, Emporia uh, was our first expansion site. Um, and kind of a parallel in one additional site in Topeka. And we went from one to three pretty quick. And at the same time, I had an infant at home. So that was an exciting time. Um, but uh, I tell you, we're now 12 sites strong. And we cover a service radius of about 335 miles, which is pretty stinking amazing to me. There are amazing therapists out there, but we still have people that drive from Des Moines, Iowa, St. Louis, Colorado Springs, to come to Christ First Counseling for the unique work that the Father is doing in and through this ministry. And we thank you for being a part of that, for providing the room that gets used pretty much every day of the week. And as we continue to build a relationship with Emporia State and having an internship program and continue to grow caseloads, that room's going to get small in a hurry. And so we're continually thinking of expanding and really meeting all the people that he's called us to serve. So if you would, um, stand with me. I want to read a scripture that I'm going to be talking about today, and um, we'll get started here. I hope you packed a lunch. We'll be here for a couple hours. Um, I'm going to be reading from 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Bathsheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and then went on into the desert 
another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, Get up and eat. He looked around. To his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back, shook him awake again, and said, Get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. He got up, ate and drank his fill, and set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. When he got there, he crawled into the cave and went to sleep. Then the word of God came to him. So, Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go stand on the mountain at the attention before God, and God will pass by. You may be seated. It's a phenomenal scripture. I, I really love Elijah just because he reminds me in some ways of myself in the good and the bad. If you remember, Elijah was called to go to Ahab and to call him out. So he sent Obadiah to Ahab in chapter 18 and said, Tell your master that you saw me. Because as you guys know, Elijah was a wanted man. He was on the run. And every territory was being turned upside down to find and kill him. So Elijah told Obadiah this. And Obadiah said, well, I'm going to be dead if I tell him that. He said, I will meet with your master today. So picture this, if you will. Automatically, Ahab goes out to meet with Elijah. And he says to Elijah, hello there, troublemaker. Right? And he said, I'm not the troublemaker in this land. You and your government are. Gather your folks together, all of your gods, 850 in number, all the people and I want you to come to the mountaintop. We're going to duke it out. You guys remember that story? How bold that he basically told him, I am going to show you the one true God. And I'm willing to stake my life on it. That's a passionate and a deep belief 
that he knew that he was called by the Father to really win back the people of the city that had been turned by Jezebel and Ahab. And what he said was amazing the way that he set it up with the two oxen to be burned, as you guys remember. The bad part is that I think sometimes in me, I think I can get a little bit cocky, right? This reminds me of an arrogant 16-year-old version of me going, I'm going to win, and I don't care what it takes, it's going to happen. How many of you have been like that? This is what's going to happen, I'm going to make it so. I believe so much in this. And he did that. And the Baal gods, they were basically screaming out, cutting themselves, trying to burn this altar. And it was crickets. Nothing happened. And after a short bit, Elijah said, just stop this nonsense. Stop it. Enough of this. Step to the side. I want you basically drench the offering, the altar, and let my God go to work. God, let your power be shown. And in that instant, the fire engulfed not only the offering, the wood, the stone, the water, and scorched the earth below it. And of course, the Baal gods and the 850 local gods were freaked out, and they were gathered up and killed. And Ahab, of course, loyal to Jezebel, went back to the capital city to report everything that had just happened. And a storm cloud was coming to bring rain. They had been in a drought for three years, and they beat the rain. And even though Ahab was in his chariot and getting away, Ahab outran him on foot because the hand of God was upon him. It's kind of a cool thing. That doesn't remind me of me, by the way. But he gets to the capital city where he's a wanted man. And he gets there, and I think, in all my study and several different authors saying, it was truly seen that he was looking for this culture to finally go, we want our God back. We have seen the evidence of what was happening and what has happened, and we want the one true God back in our city. Amen? That's what he wanted, and that's what he expected after his great work on the mountain. And what happened? Crickets. Nobody came out, nobody reached out to him, no fanfare whatsoever. Except for the messenger that came and said, you're going to die tomorrow. Directly from Jezebel. And if you know much about Jezebel, she was a woman that kept her word. She was a woman who kept her word. She was going to put him down. He freaks out. And he gets the heck out of Dodge. Can I say that here? <laughs> he ran. With his servant, ran. And in the first city, he stopped. With his servant. And asked his servant to stay there. 
This is critical because he didn't have a servant because he was a wealthy man. He had a servant because he was in ministry and this person believed in what he was doing. And he told him, basically, you need to stay here because obviously he didn't want him to die too. But more importantly, folks, he was quitting the ministry. He was saying, I no longer need a staff. I'm done. In that moment, when he was running and all the fanfare didn't happen and the people didn't cry out for the one true God, he's saying, what is wrong with my God? What is wrong with me? What's going on? This is the plan that I had in my mind. I had it all worked out. I listened. I obeyed. And nothing happened the way that I thought it was supposed to. Anybody ever been there? Nobody else except for me? Okay, I'm cool with that. When we think this is what we expect and it doesn't happen, we do question ourselves. And then we question our God. And the reason why he's run is because he needed to be in with God. He needed an encounter with God. So he runs uh, basically to a broom tree, collapses. The angel of God comes and wakes him up and says, Elijah, repent, you miserable fool. You are not in enough Bible studies. You're not praying enough. You have got to get busy. Oh, wait, he didn't say any of that. He said, you need to eat. You need to take care of your physical body. The way we respond to people in hurting crisis reveals our worldview. Our worldview comes down to really three worldviews. We have really the scientific where it says, Everything that happens that goes wrong, if you're despondent for any reason, there is a medical reason. If we fix that medical problem, you can get back to being on course. There's a time and place for medicine. Absolutely there is. But that's not what the angel of God did. The second worldview is a really being able to say the psychological. Let's get someone to talk about it. Sometimes we need somebody to walk and do life with us, to go on the journey of life with us. Amen? How many of you have ever felt, I need somebody? I need someone to touch me. I need someone to hold me. I need someone to take me out for a good meal. I need company. I need compassion. How many of you have ever been in that place? And the angel of God did a little bit of that, but he didn't say, hey, let's just talk about it. The third worldview is the moralistic. The moralistic is the dramatic thing that I did of saying everything that goes wrong has a spiritual root. That if you just get your life right and repent of any sin that is still there, everything will be fine. Work harder. Be legalistic and make sure that you're doing everything correctly. And as long as you're doing everything correctly, you will be blessed. 
to me, any one of those worldviews adopted in isolation will leave us as a people of God not meeting the real world problems that are all around us and in us. Sometimes people need a cold cup of water. Sometimes they need a hug. Sometimes they need someone to talk to. They don't need a lecture. They don't need someone saying, well, I'm going to ask my Sunday school class to pray for you. Um, Please call me when this is over because it's too uncomfortable for me to walk in the midst of it. Sometimes it's right there to meet that need. Here's what I think, you know, in this journey of grace that's probably way above my pay grade to fully understand. To me, I had this idea that Elijah really did things correctly, heard from God, and he was obedient in God. So what went wrong? How did he get to the place where he said, take me? I want to die and join my ancestors. In that despondency, I think we see that he deviated from God's natural plan of a cycle of grace. And I want to show kind of in comparison to what what that looks like as compared to the life example that we have in Christ. And how Christ uniquely lived in that cycle of grace. Obviously, Jesus was persecuted by many groups. He spent 40 days in the desert. He cried out to God. He did all those things. There's many similarities. But one thing is different, that he did live in that cycle of grace. And there's a a great book if you ever have just a lonely evening and you want to read something really cool, uh, a book called The Cycle of Grace. Um, by Trevor Hudson. It goes into much more detail about this than what what I am going to do this morning, but this is a small rendition of that. Um, When we look at the cycle of grace, really it's about how God um, really created a plan for Jesus to be able to have an inflow of grace that's balanced with the outflow We have to be balanced in our inflow of grace and that which we pour out. And if that ratio ever gets whacked, if it ever gets jacked up in any way, you're going to burn out and burn up in your faith. I don't want that for any of us, right? And so here's the first part of the cycle of grace is acceptance. Christ never started his ministry until he knew his identity. Until he knew his identity. You are my son. You are my beloved. And this is the primary entry point for all of us to have our identities in him known. To have it known. Acceptance of that identity Being a new creation in him doesn't come without issues. It doesn't come without issues. The process of sanctification doesn't stop with your new identity. The process of sanctification just gets started and calls us into a journey of growth and continued embrace of that grace. 
when we look at that sanctification, some people may be here going, no, you have a new identity. And my family's pretty okay. I'm okay. Let's keep going with everybody being okay. Let's not draw out the sin or the places in our lives that we can continue to grow. It's just too painful. And besides, we're a whole lot better than the church down the street or we're a whole lot better than the family down the block. So we're good. We're good. I know Genesis 3, we know that all of our families are kind of jacked up, right? We all come from brokenness, amen? And if you don't think your family comes from brokenness, maybe they just haven't told you yet about your contribution to the brokenness of that family, (laughs) right? Call me and we'll talk, we'll sit down. We all have brokenness. We all have brokenness. The second aspect of the cycle of grace is sustenance. Is sustenance. And Christ had a group of loyal people that he engaged with all the time. He had a lot of folks that he poured into, but also poured into him that he rubbed shoulders with, shook hands with, celebrated. And he was even called a drunkard for how much celebrating that he did. He had people around him, a community that he walked with, that was in this journey. He went away and prayed by himself. We could sit here probably for a couple hours and talk about the things that he did to be sustained. And then I would ask the question, why are we not doing more to be sustained? There's this uh, great uh, YouTube channel. If you ever get a chance, this may be the thing that changes your life today. It's just phenomenal. Called the 11-8 Bridge. Have you guys ever heard of that? The 11-8 Bridge. Oh, just phenomenal stuff. You don't have to Google it now. You can do it later. But... The 11-8 bridge is a bridge that's 11 feet 8 inches tall. Most bridges, people are already here in the train coming, right? This thing is coal train rated, hurricane rated. It is a beefy, beefy bridge. In Durham, North Carolina, there are handouts that you get if you're driving a rental truck, any kind of larger truck saying, do not go down this street. Here are the alternative routes. Everybody that gets CDL has to know that that's the street that you cannot go down. A block away is a sign saying, caution, low bridge. A half a block away, caution, low bridge, right? And it's not a small bridge, so it's like you're not going to miss it, right? Up here, right by the bridge, flashing lights, and that wonderful reflective tape that's about like this wide, going low bridge. So picture this if you will, there's a YouTube camera that is videotaping the events at this intersection. In one of these videos you see 
this very expensive fifth wheel. Very expensive. And it's very long, very expensive truck. And you see this thing coming down the street and it slows down and it gets really slow and you see it because it's obviously reading signs and it's got its eyes open so it's going really slow and it gets right up to the bridge right up to it and kind of stops and then tries to slowly slowly go maybe if I am super slow and quiet <laughs> that the bridge won't know I'm here and that bridge opens it like a can opener, right? <laughs> Takes off the top. And it's amazing how many people, there's a truck going through the intersection that is carrying a huge bale of hay. And he goes through it, doesn't even tap the brakes, right? Hay everywhere, just boom, constantly explodes. And then you see a truck that's the same truck, right? It's the same company, same big load of hay. You think, hey, this is what happened right in front of me. I'm not going to do that. No, we're going right on ahead. Doesn't even tap the brakes. Boom. We have hay, right? Everywhere. A vehicle, a large truck pulls up to the, to the intersection that comes like this. And you see here is the bridge right here with all the signage, everything else. The truck can turn this way, it can't go straight, it's a one way coming this way. And he sits there, two minutes, and you could just see the wheels turning going, I really wanna go that way. I do, I wanna turn right so bad. And you're thinking, no he won't. <laughs> yes, he does, <laughs> right? Turns right slowly, because if you go slow and quiet, it won't be seen, and he taps it, and he's like, oh, can't make it, so he backs up, and you hear the beeps, beep, 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 right? And you hear it go all the way out of camera, and then all of a sudden, you go, no. He can't, right? This is a box truck. There are people walking underneath those little walkways, underneath the bridge, and you think, there's no way this guy is going to turn around and do this. Yep. And he makes a run, right? And he hits that thing, and the box truck lifts up. And I'm telling you, I used to drive trucks and, and large farm equipment, and if you have ever, ever had any load on a truck, you know the impact that that will have because that bridge is not going to give. The front wheel's lifting off the ground, and I'm thinking he may have had an extra pair of shorts. I'm not sure, but <laughs> he hits that hard. And there's people walking within five feet of this that don't even look. They're like... That just happened. They become so accustomed to people hitting the bridge, it doesn't even hit their radar when they're walking underneath the bridge when it happens. 
It is hilarious. The amount of damage that's done isn't. But I'm here to tell you that we're not too much unlike those drivers. As Christians, we see the warning signs and we say we really need to be in community. We really need to be a part of a healthy system that's feeding into us to be sustained for the long journey ahead. But that doesn't apply to me. I'm a deacon or I have my pen from being here for 23 years and I haven't missed one. Or, you know what, I pray three times a day, I read scripture, I memorize scripture, I even volunteer at the local homeless shelter, I also volunteer to spend time with the fifth graders, even though that's the most rambunctious group of people I've ever met. And God should honor that in me. He should honor that, so I don't need to do all that other stuff. And folks, we're hitting the bridge right and left, and the world is standing by with a webcam just going, yep, there we go again. Another Christian hits the bridge. Another leader falls. They're watching and just laughing because we don't see the warning signs in our minds enough to say that it applies to us. The second part of the cycle for the next couple of hours we'll talk about is the outflow. The outflow is this. The first part of an outflow is significance. Is significance. Because Jesus knew his identity, he never forgot what he was to be. It's easy for me in my flesh to tell you, hey, I've got my doctorate. Man, I have like 12 years of higher education and the student loans to prove it. And here the ministry is doing all these amazing things. And I can tell you everything that I do. But finding out who I am to get to that being that's a whole different conversation, is it not? Who we are is more important than what we do. Who we are is more important than what we do. So what we do should naturally flow out of who we are. And if we know who we are and we are in a part of a sustaining discipline system and we have the acceptance of our identity, Significance will come because the Father will use you. The Father will. Elijah, when he had significance, his plan failed him. It wasn't God that failed him. He wanted to be significant. I was the one that brought God back to relevancy in this city. I did, and nobody is here with a ticket tape parade. What's going on? Something's got to be wrong with me, and something's got to be wrong with my God. 
the other area of significance is one, he thought he was the only one. Not one of us in this room is capable of doing anything on our own. Amen? Not just, a, not just outside of the Father. I don't care how intelligent, how gifted you are. You need other people to be with you and to do life with you. It's his system. That's what he called us for. That's what he called us for. And it's interesting, just as a, a brief side note, the place where he ran to, Horeb, that's kind of a weird name. People don't typically, you know, know that. But it's the same place that Moses was centuries before. Many theologians believe that it's the very same place, the very same cave that Moses was at to go see God is the same place that Elijah went to to rest and to encounter the Father. Study it. It's really cool stuff. Really cool. But his first thing was, I'm the only one. If you find yourself going, I'm the only one, and it's followed by anything, watch for the bridge ahead, because you're about to hit it. And if you hear one of your brothers or sisters doing that, please say, hey, here's a pamphlet about a bridge that's down the street. Because it's going to hurt. But not just them individually, but it's going to hurt us as the church, as a body of believers that are trying to accomplish one mission, is to show Christ more powerfully today than we could have yesterday. A quote uh, from a famous theologian, he said, the most dangerous man is the contemplative man that believes only himself and listens only to himself. When our truth becomes the only thing that we listen to, not only does it get very lonely, but it also gets uncomfortably unhealthy. And there will be a bridge at some point. There will be a bridge at some point. Well, we've got just a little bit of time. The last that I'm just going to touch on briefly, fruitfulness. The fruitfulness is this. We have to be able to say, how do we define success in every area of our lives? The outcomes of what we do will be driven by the way we define success in everything. If you define success in your family as your children growing up in the Father and becoming believers at early ages, every decision that you make will feed into that. If you say, in my family, we are going to be debt-free, every decision that you make is going to feed into that. In your work, same thing. In your faith, same thing. We have to have that definition of success that lines up with what he is calling us to in his identity that he has uniquely created for every one of us. See, he defines success by being able to bring people to him, to make outsiders insiders, marginalized populations to be included, children, women, and other marginalized populations. We need to reflect that ourselves and corporately. 
unfortunately, we can get our identity in Christ and want to skip right to fruitfulness. I want to see the outcome of my choice to follow him. I want to be blessed because of that. The problem that I work, I have quite a few ministry leaders and pastors on my caseload. And at any one time, probably six or seven, which is a very healthy thing. And the thing that I probably see more than anything else is saying, I'm not bearing enough fruit. I'm not bearing enough fruit. And they start counting things that make no difference. Man, I posted the sermon today on Facebook and I only got five likes. Or, gosh, I only have this many followers on my Instagram. Or just some ridiculous measures of fruitfulness. Even if we look at, man, we've baptized this many people. If we start just looking at the fruitfulness without having the rest of the journey, we enter into what Hudson calls as a cycle of works rather than a cycle of grace. And it goes just backwards. We want to get fruit so that the people around us will find significance in us. If I lead enough of a ministry, if I get enough people in my class, and if I have enough numbers, people will like me, and I'll be significant. And I can be significant long enough to sustain me in my everyday journey until I'm able to accept me to present myself to the Father to be accepted by him. Do you hear the difference? Cycle of grace versus the cycle of works. And it's something that I have to grow in every, every day. So I'm going to leave you with three questions that we should cover in the next hour. But the three questions that I want you to write down are this. The first question that I want to ask myself at the end of every day is this. God, hour by hour, hour by hour, God, I want you to reveal to me where you are present in my day. Show yourself to me. You have to quiet your heart. You have to quiet your mind. You have to get rid of your agenda, your filters, and say, God, reveal yourself to me. After you do that, the second question, where did I fall short today with what you called me for? Where did I fall short? And after about an hour of listening to that, then you can move to the next one. No, it, it is so hard to hear that because we don't like to be criticized. We don't like to know that we're falling short. But the great thing is, is that he does it with grace. He does it with grace. And he's able to say, this is where you fell short today. I gave you this encounter with your neighbor and you blew it. I gave you the opportunity to help somebody, and you were too focused on yourself. You blew it. The third question addresses that, and it says, God, now that you've shown me the list of things where I fell short today, I need your wisdom and guidance, your wisdom and guidance to be able to tell me 
what I should do about it tomorrow. What I should do about it tomorrow. I don't know if any of you have issues going to sleep at night, but I tell you that sometimes the things that we go to sleep thinking about pulls from our limbic system, our mid part of our brain, it pulls it forward and it places it right in our prefrontal cortex first thing in the morning and we can't let it go. But we have control of what we put on the front of our mind. At the end of the day, if the father is saying, you know what, I want you to go to your brother and I want you to confess this sin. I want you to go to your sister and confess where you fell short. Or I want you to go make this right in this way. I want to lead you in this. I'm going to tell you, it helps me sleep better knowing that he's there in the midst of my, my issues, for lack of a better term. The things that I fall short in that I'm trying to grow in. He wants that for us. He wants that communion. Try not to overemphasize your importance to him and limit the amount of grace that he has for you. Ask those three questions and just see what it does this week for you. And let me, let me lead us in prayer here. Heavenly Father, thanks. Thanks for today. Thank you for who you are and who you allow us to be in you that unique identity that you created in each of us, that calling. Father, just reveal that in a powerful way today, not so that we can just go do more, but so that we can embrace your grace more fully while doing life with you and others. Father, we love you, and we just thank you for providing everything that we need to be successful for what you called us for. For your faithfulness to continue to pursue us. And Father, just for this community of believers that you have really placed around us to help us to grow and to just be in this journey of grace together with. Father, it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.